With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and thank you for listening today. Lots to get through in the show. We are still smiling after Monday's victory against West Brom. But as Jack alluded to in the last podcast, we have another team with West in their name to face on Saturday. We're going to be looking ahead to that game and discussing all the talking points that have arisen since that win against West Brom on Monday. Firstly, I am joined by Jack Collins. How are you doing, Jack? Hello, mate. Hello, listeners. How are we? Yeah, good. Thank you very much. And joined once again by Peter Rutzler, Fulham's writer for The Athletic. How are you doing, Peter? I'm very good, thanks, Sammy. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, the difficult second podcast, as they say. It's uh, <laughs> tripping up Sheffield United this season in the Premier League. Hopefully you won't suffer the same fate today, Peter. Um, how's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. I'm slightly annoyed I didn't get a haircut before lockdown, so I will now pay the price for that over the next month. But, ah, yeah, I actually... I actually did do that last night. I went to the I was one of those that went to the barbers at quarter past five and was there for a good like hour and a half as the world's I normally go into this barbers, right? And it's it's three people waiting going, which one do you want to pick um, to cut your hair? And then it was the world's longest queue. But uh, I got my hair cut. So that's the main thing. Um, right. Let's get on to your reaction, Peter, fr- from Monday's game. Obviously, you were there in the stands and and you said on last week's podcast about how you've got this track record covering Bournemouth and Fulham that you haven't seen very many Premier League wins. And it's probably been a long time since you've seen a good Premier League win. So it must be nice to get the monkey off your back as far as you're concerned covering Fulham and uh, some positive results to, to talk about it must make a change yeah smiling uncontrollably in the end um yeah it was it was a good performance actually from Fulham all round I think um I think it was one we sort of expected um a little bit judging from you know we, we talked about last week about how we'd seen you know little bits that suggested the team were going in the right direction um and then obviously coming into to, to the game against a team that you have been struggling a lot of late and um I think Fulham rose to the occasion a little bit because if you you know if you think about the consequences of not winning and suddenly the questions become a lot sharper don't they and around around everything um but you know that it was in all areas they were very impressive defensively very solid which I'm sure we'll talk about um but also going forward it seemed like they were a little bit more direct than they have been of late um and yeah, t- two brilliant goals as well, and especially Olerainers, which I managed to just catch the end of it. Uh, just looked up to see the ball rifled into the top corner. Unbelievable <laughs> strike. Um, but yeah, a really good win. Yeah, Peter, were you surprised by how poor West Brom were? There was a debate in the podcast that Jack did on Monday about can we get excited about this win? Because West Brom offered 
nothing. And then some good players in that team, Pereira, Dean Garner, and I think Carlin Grant's a half-decent striker on his day as well. I was just surprised that there was so little resistance, but one could argue it was because of the way we played that we didn't give them a chance to, to get in the game. And we saw last season Fulham have an amazing ability to suffocate teams once we're in the lead. So do you think that was more of what was on display or were West Brom just really, really bad? I think you have to take a bit of both, really. I mean, from a Fulham perspective, uh, I think Scott Parker and the team will definitely look at it and say, look, we were excellent and, and we'll use that as something to build on. But I mean, you can't ignore the way West Brom have played. They'd obviously came into quite, they'd been in, uh, let me start that again. They, uh, they've obviously had a very difficult week, um, not least with Ahmed Hagazi leaving the club the tension sort of around that and, and that noise that, that, that it created. And, you know, they weren't very good on, on, on Monday night. I think that they started the game very positively, much brighter than, than Fulham. I think they came out the blocks very quickly. I think Connor Townsend hit the crossbar with that fluky cross. Um, so, I mean, you know, as you mentioned it there, we, we, the first goal was so important for Fulham. And if that flies in, um, if Fulham don't weather that, those opening 10, 15 minutes, then you're looking at potentially a different, different game. But, you know, Fulham grew into it. Um, they took control of the ball. And, and that first goal is, 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 is so, so important. Um, I think I, I put it in a, in a piece leading up to, to the game about just how impressive Fulham have been since the start of last year in that, you know, if they take the lead, I think they've done it 26 times now. They've never lost. So that, the way Park has the team set up is very much suited to, to stifling teams, to controlling matches, to dominating them. Um, and it's when you can avoid being picked off that, that, that you know, that they, they, they excel. Now, obviously West Brom, they do have quality. I think a credit to Fulham that Matias Pereira was so quiet. He's been very, very influential already this season in the Premier League, despite, you know, their, their struggles in general. Carlin Grant, as you say, is a good centre forward, but they were both very, very quiet. I think they had a couple of moments. I think there was one awful Anguissa pass that yeah. absolutely enraged Mitrovic. He stormed down the pitch to make sure. <laughs> I think he just gave him a stare. I don't think he said anything, but, um, <laughs> um, but you know, if you can cut those moments out and I, th I think apart from that, West Brom created very, very little. I think in the second half, they were obviously going to come out a bit sharper, but you know, Ariola only had one shot to deal with and that was a, a very weak header from Grant. So yeah, it's a bit of both, isn't it really? I mean, from Fulham's side, you take the positives, but you know the real test will come in 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 the weeks ahead. And yeah, it's it's a little bit of both. I think you can't say that this result changes everything. I, you can't say that this is now the the you know the major the point in which Fulham are Premier League competitive and going to storm up the table to to mid mid table security. But you know it's it's a real positive and and to to almost be a cut above, I think, is really encouraging. Um, and that's that's the main positive to take. Yeah, I, I thought it looked a bit like a mid-table side playing a, a bottom-of-the-table side, which is obviously what you're, what you're kind of hoping for, really, in, in, in so many ways. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on one bit from the game, which was Mario Lamina in the first half. And he obviously played as the deepest part of that, of that midfield three. Um, and I tweeted about it at the time saying it was quite a risky move. And I just kind of... I wanted to see what you thought of it, because given the way that Melamina plays, he always does try to bypass the first press, right? And he tries to beat that first man, which is, you know, a reasonably high risk maneuver. But I think it brought so many rewards. And we saw that in the performance of, of Tom Kearney, I thought, especially in the first half where he, he had so much space and time to dictate higher up. And I, I just think, is Lamina going to be 
the man for that six role against weaker teams at home. Because if you can beat that press, then surely it allows you to then expand outwards. But, you know, if you lose the ball there, you're in you're in dire straits in some regards. Yeah, I think that is an interesting point as well. I think when you looked at the two players at both Mara Lamina and, and Frank and Gisa in those those holding roles, both of them seem to have the attributes to break a press. You know, Anguisa is very good at dribbling with the ball. He's excellent at carrying it. And we saw that for the first goal. You know, he's, he's flicked the ball over, I think it was Conor Gallagher and then done a, and then had a one-two with with Tom Kearney, which was a lovely bit of play and it moved Fulham right up the pitch. Um, I think Lamina is quite similar in that regard. He's very good. He was very sharp in his tackles. I, he was one of those players when, when he was brought in that I wasn't too sure where he was going to fit in, how he would sort of play for Fulham. Um, I think he, his first appearances in the Carabao Cup, he was very much a six, you know, splitting the centre-halves almost. And I was a little bit surprised. I didn't think he was that sort of player. I thought he'd be much more energetic, much more box-to-box than than a, a sort of a centre-half splitting, you know, long-range passing midfielder. Um, but I think on Monday night, we, we saw that side to him where he was so tenacious. You know, he was smothering everything, fighting every fire in there. Um, it's undoubtedly his best best performance so far in a, in a Fulham shirt, um, and it, and you know that energy is is so important, and the fact that he can combine it with a technical ability, he's quite clearly good on the ball. He can dribble with it, um, and and being able to find Kenny early in those spaces made a massive difference. You know, Kenny sort of fried in in, in the space he had, really worked well on the left hand side with with Anthony Robinson and Adamola Lookman, and and his ability too to drive with the ball was was crucial to Fulham being a little bit more direct. Um, it was a shame he had to go off at half-time. Um, Scott Parker said that was a precautionary hamstring injury. So, oh, well, he, just, he felt it a little bit and uh, just wanted to not take the risk in, in the second half. But, you know, I think he suddenly looks like a very good option in, in that area. Um, a nice balance to, to Anguissa. I think they're slightly different players. Um, but in terms of having allowing others to to really to thrive and have freedom, you know, Adam Lutman as well. I mean, he he was sort of overshadowed a bit by by Kearney, but he still had that same freedom. Was still really effective. Was still very direct. Um, and that's a new side to Fulham that's, that's so so important. And and they looked much more threatening overall. And you can't take away from the fact that Lamina and Anguissa were so important to that. Yeah, I thought that the actual Reed substitution, to be fair, obviously before we knew what was happening, it was, yes, Lamina had played well in the first half, but I thought Reed coming on for him might have just been a tactical thing purely mm. because you're now in a two-goal lead. You don't need to break that press as much from from that position. And, and Harrison Reed is obviously a little bit more of a kind of traditional player in that sense in that he... He, you know, kind of does his defensive duties well. And and aside from that, he he doesn't kind of look to beat a man and, and carry it up. And I thought it might be a tactical thing. But I mean, if, if Lamina is feeling his hamstring, then it's definitely worth being precautionary, especially at 2-0 up. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think I've said the same thing, I think, because Lamina was, is so enthusiastic. He really does hammer into those tackles. He's flying. And, and as you said before, there is the risk there that, you know, you miss one, you overplay it slightly and, and, and suddenly it's a, it's a different picture. One goal changes the game very, very quickly. And Reed is that sort of more composed player. I thought he was excellent when he came on as well, Harrison yeah. Reed. You know, he, he actually brought the same sort of bite in that area. He was very good at breaking up the play. Um, Fulham didn't... What was quite interesting is I don't think Fulham really passed West Brom off the pitch in the second half. I mean, there were long spells where they had the ball, but it wasn't, you know, what, what we've become what Fulham fans have become accustomed to in that sense. Um, there was there was still that bite and, and, and smothering West Brom and breaking quickly. Um, but yeah, as you say, I think 
you know, looking after Lamina, making sure his, his hamstring was all right was probably the, the best thing to do. I think it was interesting watching West Brom in this game in some points because I watched their performance and felt like I've seen this before with us like it, it was the way that West Brom started so quickly didn't get a goal then conceded then kind of fell apart for the rest of the first half and then once they were 2-0 down in the second half they had lots of the ball and at times looked quite impressive and made a few chances but ultimately they were never going to win the game because the opposition were, was in was in total control and uh, it was quite nice to be on the other end of that because I'm sure that's what lots of fans you know maybe Arsenal Villa this season have seen from Fulham. Um, and so it was quite nice to be on the other end of that, knowing like, yeah, you guys can have the ball in, in our half and, and make a few chances, but ultimately we know that you're not going to score. I mean, one thing that I was interested to get your thoughts on, Peter, I watched Parker's press conference that he did last Thursday and a question came in about how Crystal Palace did Fulham on the counter. And the question was kind of like, how are you going to stop that? And it was interesting hearing Parker almost talk about this concept of like, having two needing two styles of play in the Premier League. You need a style of play that wins games against teams that are in and around you, you know, your West Broms, your Burnleys, your Sheffield Uniteds. And that's possibly what we saw on Monday with, with a player like Lamina in. But you'd imagine that we need another style of play. And that's probably where Harrison Reed comes in when we face those bigger sides that have got much better players. It, it's it's a quite a weird concept. When you're in the championship, you only need one style of play. You just need a style of play that beats every team in the league. But when you're at the bottom, you actually need a style of play that means you can get some results with from the teams around you and you're going to have more of the ball against. And then you need a style of play that means that you can try and counter-attack and, and, and stop other, you know, Man City's, Liverpool's of the world absolutely annihilating you. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting the way Parker answered that because it was quite an interesting topic after the Palace game because that was, you know, Palace are a classic team of two blocks of four, breakers down, if you don't, you pay the price, you know, with the players they've got on on the counter. Um, and the fact that Fulham didn't really do that and they were picked off, it was to say, it, it did feel like, oh, okay, there's what happens when this, you know, I, I saw it last year with, with Bournemouth, you know, it was the same sort of thing with a lot of teams where they want to play progressively. They want to play nice um, attacking football with good build-up play. And if you can't mix up your game, it becomes very difficult. Now, Fulham, Fulham are interesting and I'm, you know, it's still quite early in the season, but having Mitrovic gives them such a different dynamic you know, you can have that build-up play, but then there is that target. There's a, there is a real focal point there, which does allow you to to mix up your play. Um, mm. But again, when if you're playing a Palace is one thing, or playing a West Brom is one thing, but then when you face a City or a Liverpool or any of the big sides who want to dictate play and who can easily pick you off, you've got to be able to adapt and be able to cope. Um, so I don't think we've seen Fulham tested in that way yet. Arsenal, perhaps, but you know, Fulham were so frail in those in that area. And, and credit to them in a sense because Fulham did try to play. Now there's going to have to be more of a balance, and it'll be interesting to see which way the team swings when when you know we've got Everton, Leicester, and City and Liverpool to come. So very soon, so we will see that. Um, it'll be interesting interesting to see how the approach sort of adapts, how much the team decide to sit, how much they still try to play. And, you know, the midfield options that Fulham now have really do sort of suit both ways. You could easily, you know, Harrison Reed is very good in possession, very good at dictating the ball. He can work in that sort of regard. But then you've got players like Anguisa, who's very combative, but also technically very, very strong. Uh, Lamina showed he's very technically very, very good as well. Um, 
And then you've got Roth Loftus Cheek. So if you were to take a, a Kearney out for for a Loftus Cheek, and I'm sure we'll talk about Tom Tom in a bit, who was who was so so good in that area. But when you're playing a bigger team, who's going to need you to, to to be really quite industrious in those areas? Fulham now have a lot of options, uh, and that that bodes well. And and the fact that Parker is thinking in that way and is clearly aware of how he wants his teams to play and wants them to be pragmatic and flexible um, is interesting. I guess there's a difference though. This is the one thing I've been I'm looking to to see really because quite clearly Parker is very pragmatic, very flexible in terms of mm. shape. You know, I think in, in we've seen him play a, a back three already this season um, against Palace. It was much more narrow with with Lookman and Loftus Cheek in advanced areas and the fullbacks pushing on, and then on I think against West Brom, it was very much conventional four two holders, four four one one almost or a four. Four two three one, depending on how you twist and turn it. It's interesting because then in terms of style, it's been very consistent. And I think West Brom was the first time where it felt slightly different. Fulham were much more direct. They moved the ball forward much quicker. There was less possessional passes in the middle third. There was a real desire to not only progress the ball, but also to take more risks. And I think part of that was Kearney. Kearney having that license to pick the ball up and drive at people as well as Lookman. You know, Lookman's clearly, that's, that's his strength. You know, that's what he wants to do every time he gets it. Um, but having more risk takers and, and actually getting the ball into Mitrovic much, much earlier. So whether that you know continues and whether that style side is also flexible will be really interesting to see. Okay, well, Peter, we're going to take a little bit of a break because we want to do a deeper dive on Fulham's defence today. Uh, a brand new defence. Can a fully new back five stay up in the Premier League? Plus, also, we want to take a look at Tom Kearney and the debate surrounding him. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Hello. Hello, listeners. Okay, so Peter, you wrote an article following the West Brom game talking about Fulham's defence. And for the last 10 minutes of that match on Monday, I was just going to myself, please keep a clean sheet, please keep a clean sheet, please keep a clean sheet. And there was a few free kicks and corners towards the end. And I was really, really worried that, not that we were going to throw away the whole game and, you know, give away the three points, but I just felt like psychologically keeping a clean sheet would be massive for us. The last time we are in the Premier League, I think it took us... 17 or 18 games to keep the clean sheet. It was away at Newcastle and it was a massive dark cloud over Fulham every time we played. And every time we conceded a goal, I remember just thinking, oh, another game we haven't kept a clean sheet. So I was so delighted we did it. But what was really interesting, of course, about Parker's selection on Monday was firstly the fact that all of the back five, uh, either their surname or first name began with A. So it was very much the A team uh, in the back five. But secondly, every player that played in that back five, and so I'm including the defence and the goalkeeper here, didn't start that season opener against Arsenal. Didn't play for Fulham last season. They're all brand new signings. And of course, with Joachim Anderson coming in, that completed that. So the question remains... Can a team stay up in the Premier League with a completely new defence? I racked my brain and tried to think of promoted sides that have changed their team so dramatically or any team that's changed their team quite so dramatically and had any kind of success. I can't think of any. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this because it was a really, really good performance from the defence and extra surprising considering that none of these guys have even got 10 appearances for the club. Yeah, I think the the fact that they are so new to the team and it is a new look back four 
And the fact they gelled so quickly and got that first clean sheet is is massive uh, and, and very, very impressive. I think you're definitely right about the psychological side as well. I just want to pick up on that because throughout most of this season, Scott Parker has spoken a lot about mentality and really trying to focus on what the narrative could be with Fulham in relation to 2018-19, which obviously, you know, was set fire at the start, conceding three goals per game on average and, you know, it looked like everything was repeating itself. Um, having a clean sheet now for him and, you know, for the team is massive because it actually says, look, we're not that team. The, the lines about us, you know, repeating the same mistakes defensively, at least, you know, are, they're not going to stand up. We're a different team now. We're solid. And I think from from a management perspective, he's, he's, that's great for him. And we're really good to, to use it and just say, look, you're not like this. That doesn't apply to us. This is the way we're playing. This is this is how we've changed. So, um, and that, that's quite an interesting thing that he's managed to do it with with that new back four and new back five, if you include the goalkeeper as well. Because as you say, it's, it's, it is kind of unusual. I mean, looking back only in the recent years, with teams that have made big changes, you know, there aren't many examples at all. Um, the, the clearest one was was last year with, with Villa, which is almost a new look back five. I mean, they brought in Courtney Hawes, Matt Target, um, Esri Conser, uh, Tom Heaton in goal, and then later Pepe Reina after he got injured. Um, doesn't necessarily count because of Tyrone Mings, although he was bought, but he was already on loan there. So doesn't does it count does it really count i don't know i don't think um, so the closest it's I can close think, the closest i can think of peter is west ham 2018 19 they mm. brought in Issa Diop, fabian balbuena ryan fredericks and lucas fabianski um obviously cresswell stayed at left back but that's the, that's the closest i can think of someone completely revamping the back line I think Wolves also brought in a, a few players as well. When they came up, they brought Rui Patricio in goal, Johnny Otto. Um, Johnny Otto was on loan though, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, that's a good point. Willie and Bond. I guess you had you had Connor Cody there, who is yes, this exactly. kind of central figure who I guess kind of is the one remaining talisman. It feels uh, Willie like Bolly, you can... Willie Bolly stayed as well and he, he'd been there for yes. before. So it's, yeah, but they had five. So it's even a little bit different even in, in that regard. So they were mm. looking at a new back six as opposed to a back five in the same way. That that I, I don't think it's ever been done in terms of a brand new back f- back five. Um, but that West Ham was four or five. It's as quick, as, as, as close as I can, I can think of. That's mad though, isn't it? Just about like, as in West Ham being four or five, like that's as close as I can recall. I'm thinking about trying to work back through Newcastle transfer windows, but I can't think of anything. I mean, that the West Ham one is probably the closest we get. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of examples where teams have, have invested in, def- in their defence. Not, I don't think their entire back line and then gone down. I mean, QPR... Is the, is the most obvious one. But again, they still had Clint Hill and, and Sean Derry around uh, picking up appearances. So in terms of a whole new back four and five, it's, it's really unusual um, because there, there, there's so many things with the defence. There's a cohesion, there's a leader you want to bring in. When it's someone when coming into a new environment, you know, that's, that's very, very difficult to, to build quickly. But I guess the interesting thing from Monday night was just how solid they did look. Obviously, without supporters there in the ground, you're able to hear a lot more. They were very, very communicative. I was actually quite surprised by it because obviously Tosin Adrabayo is, you know, he's a young, he's a young guy. He's, he made his Premier League debut against Sheffield United recently, but he's a really good talker, very good at marshalling the defence. Anderson too. I mean, he's only what had a handful of hours really on the training ground, but again, looked at home, constantly talking and, and communicating with Olorena. Um, I mentioned before last week about how Ariola sort of grown into that and is now a very, very loud presence at the back. Um, 
So you did get the sense that this was a makeshift defense or, you know, bodies thrown together to see how you do. This was very well drilled, um, of a team that looked quite comfortable. Um, and that can only bode well, really. I think there's a lot of young players in that back line that are still learning and still adapting to, to the Premier League. Um, but there's a nice balance in there. I think Adarabayo, you know, he's, he's very tall, so that helps him dealing with an aerial threat. And we've already seen his, his ability on in possession. And the same with Anderson too. So in terms of fitting into the system and the way Parker wants to play, you know, they're, they're perfectly well suited. I think Aina and Robinson have, are growing as well. I think they've, they're very good at getting forward. I think the one thing for me that's been, been, been sort of more of an issue is their final ball. I think Robinson on that left-hand side is fantastic at covering the ground, but it's always that final cross, that final ball, which I think Joe Bryan is very, very good at. Um, but then again, on, on Monday night, he showed he can deliver with a fantastic cross for, for Mitrovic that led to Bobby Dekodova, uh reads goal. So, uh, and then obviously Olerena's fantastic strike as well. So they've sort of put that to bed a little bit. Um, but in, yeah, I mean, in terms of a team adapting and, and and coming together quickly, it's 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 impressive. Obviously, this is West Brom. It's the first game. There'll be tougher tests ahead, I'm sure. So, you know, we, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. But um, for a first start together, it was, it was pretty good going. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's it, isn't it? It's you have to you have to build this rapport. And we've talked about, I think, the the team from 1890. And I think, you know, you wrote it in your piece, but it hangs over that kind of idea of Fulham being porous hangs over the club a little bit, you know, in, in that kind of spectre form that there is always this element that we might be liable to concede silly goals. We might be liable to to do silly things in the back four. And, and so when you have a new, a new side trying to gel, it's so important that that happens before things get out of hand. And, and, and I think this is what's, what's interesting here. If this back four or, you know, the rotations to it, I'm sure there will be this season, especially other people that, that come in and you expect Kenny Tete to come back and and definitely challenge, if not take that right that right back spot from Olaina. And, you know, you look at the the rotating elements in, in the likes of Terence Congolo and and all those players who have come back in and will be in contention. And, and even Michael Hector, who's who Scott's talked about in, in various press conferences that, you know, he's just, you know, needs to get his confidence back and and start to fight his way back into the side. You know, that you think that at some point there will be, you know, a time that Michael Hector comes back into this. And I think when given all of these things, it's so crucial that this this kind of defensive unit, not just the first five, but the, the squad as a whole, become cohesive early doors because if like last time you know you end up in in January February still without a clean sheet and and still without any defensive cohesion and it becomes too late for Fulham to try and make a charge to survive and I think that's what happened last time we were too far off by the time that the team actually decided how they knew how they worked and they they found some rhythm and and by that point it was it was too little too late if we can find that kind of rhythm in 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 November in December instead of in February March then then the chances of staying up are far higher i'm interested to see what you guys think of this because the, with a defense naturally i think you know speaking to a lot of different managers they want to have you know a settled back four you want to have the your backline settled they're familiar with each other and that relationship sort of grow. But obviously Fulham now have so many good options in those areas. You know, I think right back, you've got, as you said, Kenny Tessa will, you know, will naturally compete, potentially take Olerena's spot. But, I mean, Olerena has been excellent in the last couple of games. Anthony Robinson's taken Joe Bryan's spot, but Joe Bryan has already shown he can be a fantastic Premier League left back as well. Terence Congolo, Michael Hector, these players aren't necessarily out the, out the picture. So I guess the, the question might be, you know, 
will Parker want a settled back four, potentially five? You know, he's already shown he can play a five or or will he will he facilitate much rotation? I think that's that'll be really interesting to see through the season. I mean, there's obviously yeah. strength and depth, but I I don't I can't speak for all Fulham fans, but certainly, you know, my favorite ever Fulham team, like most people probably listening, is that Europa League team for, for for Fulham. And the whole point of that team is it was such a settled, maybe not back four because there was kind of a bit of change between Pantsel and Chris Baird at right back, but certainly it was Hangland and Hughes for well over a hundred matches, maybe maybe nearly consecutively, really, uh, with Mark Schwarzer behind and. Certainly as a fan, I love that feeling of knowing exactly who your goalkeeper are, who are your central defenders. And and it gives you some confidence that the rest of the team c- can build upon. And and I don't really think Fulham have had that. Even, even like, you know, successful years, like promotion years. I can't remember the last time that I went into a season exactly knowing who our goalkeeper and back two are. And mm. I guess that's the shame with Anderson you know, probably not going to be here next year. If him and Adarabayo do form a partnership once again next season, if he's likely to go back to Leon, we'll be looking at trying to rebuild another one. I think the closest we ever came was Tim Ream and Dennis Adoy and Marcus Bettinelli during that promotion season where I felt confident in a, in a centre-back pairing, you know, going into games. So I as I say, can't speak for all Fulham fans, but I imagine the majority would just like to get something over the next few years that resembles some kind of consistency in that, in that defensive line. And whilst yes, Parker does have a lot of options. I, I prefer not chopping and changing when it, when it comes to a defense. I guess it's building towards that. I think there's that, there was a stat doing the rounds about Tim Ream having 16 defensive partners since he signed. Yes. Or something like that. So there's, there's no doubt there hasn't been that sort of stability in those, in those areas, but I guess it's, it comes back to the dilemma again of when you when you get promoted, how much do you rely on who you've got? How much do you adapt? How much do you bring in different players? And as you say, it's a shame Anderson is is only on loan, but you know there, there are still the makings of players there who've been brought in permanently, who are young, Robinson, Adrobayo, Congolo still, um, Teta as well, that can potentially form the basis of that more stable back line longer term. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that that sort of develops. But again, you know, as you say, like naturally you want to I think I think there's definitely merits to it I think you know you mentioned um, Hughes and, and Hangeland and you know Roy Hodgson is, is is one to always stick with a stable back line but of course at Palace he's got a number of options there that he he has he, he does cycle through too so yeah it'll be interesting to see and I think what's what's in also nice in the same way that the midfield have different qualities I think the defenders also have different qualities as well and it'll be interesting once Congolo's fully fit and um, Hector's Backing in, you know, fighting amongst the in backing contention, then um, to see which direction it goes. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the midfield there, Peter, and I, I thought it was probably about time we we shifted up the pitch a little bit, and, and we talked slightly about the the different kind of elements of of what worked on on Monday night with with Lamina and Gisa, and but I mean, the, the main talking point was Tom Kearney, right? And and Tom Kearney back into that ten role where he's thrived now. I've been saying this for forever and a day, if uh, you know, without without being all I told you so. Um, but Tom Kearney as an eight 
doesn't possess the the skill set to to do those things i don't think it, it not especially at this level he likes to come deep and receive the ball and i can understand why as a player he wants to come deeper and, and get into it but i think he's most effective when he's up in that 10 spot he gets the ball a little bit less but he pulls the strings when he does get the ball and i think we saw the best of that on monday night I mean, I've got a much smaller sample size than you guys, and I was very wary stepping into this this discussion as well. But I think from I'm I'm completely agree with you, Jack. Like, you know, from what I've seen of, of Tom Kearney, he's the difference on Monday night to what we've seen so far this season. Just that freedom, that ability to pick the ball up in different areas and pockets and drive at people to really try and make things happen, but also link Mitrovic into the game, link Lookman into the game. Um, was was excellent and you know he's a brilliant player with the ball at his feet he's got fantastic feet he's a really good dribbler he's very good at linking play um and I just don't think it suits him to be in that sort of deeper role I don't think he has the defensive qualities in there I mean don't get me wrong he's not a bad defensive player in midfield you know he's excellent in the tackle uh, especially I just think you know, you, especially at this level, you, you want to be playing to your strengths. And I think that suits him best. And it, it was so noticeable how, how noticeable how he, how he played on Monday night. I mean, out of possession, Fulham were more of a 4-4-2 and, and Kearney was basically a second striker in, yeah. in terms of the way that Fulham were pressing. So um, he was very much playing higher up the pitch, very much had that freedom. And, you know, he, he, he reveled in it. Now, obviously, it was West Brom on Monday night. So... It's going to be very different when you when you face a Leicester or an Everton or even you know a West Ham on on Saturday, but quite clearly he he has the ability at this level when he's you know he saw the goal he scored against Crystal Palace he's got that in his locker he can bring goals to the team and again he's he's a different option in there he's very much a different midfielder I feel to to what to the others that Fulham have now in in their Arsenal so for me he's definitely a number ten he's definitely yep. a number ten I think he's our only number ten yeah I think so can Loftus Cheek not be that. I don't think Loftus-Cheek is that. I don't think Loftus-Cheek sees him as that. And I think the first couple of games he's played, he's almost been on the right, hasn't he? So it's, it's hard to say he's been playing as an attacking midfielder, but he definitely was against Palace. He was certainly higher up the, the pitch than, than, than Anguissa uh, behind him. Um, Loftus-Cheek's a player who likes to have the play in front of him yeah, rather agreed. than with his back to it. Um, he's got the physicality and the technical ability in that central area to really dictate play. And I think he he gets goals by arriving late in the box. He can cover both boxes. He's got that in his locker. That's what he does best. Parker was asked about it as well. And I think he sees him as that sort of number eight driving player. Now, he's still creative, um, but he's creative, I think, in a different way to, to a Kearney. And again, that having that those sort of that versatility between the two is, uh, you know, that's that's a great option to have, I think. Yeah. But but then again, that's that's another topic, isn't it? Are they one or the other or can they fit together? That'll be interesting as well. I mean, Jack, you say that Kearney's best position is a 10 and I don't disagree with you. But does that mean then if his best position or only position is a 10, as you kind of said, does that mean he's ruled out of a lot of games? Because, you know, in the Premier League, there is less and less room for a 10 and Deli Ali is finding it out the hard way at Spurs at the moment. And in, and in tighter, harder games, we're not going to have that luxury to have a 10 when we're backs against the wall and just trying to, to nick a goal on the break. Does that mean that we have to, you know, accept that Tom Kearney can't play every game this season and and we'll bring him out for maybe more winnable games against the likes of, of West Brom where he can have that real influence to ensure us that we do get wins in those in those tight kind of battleground games as the uh, as the phrase would go this week 
Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I disagree. I think there is a space here for Tom Kenny. And I also think there's always a space for a 10, um, especially in a midfield three. I think you need players that can fill those six, eight and 10 roles. And and I don't think we have anyone that quite does it like Tom Kenny. Yes, of course, there are going to be games where you look to play a little bit more with like twin eights to to kind of drive you up the pitch in, in more physical battles, or whatever. But I, I don't think that, that that rules Tom Kenny out of, of major games. I think it would, it would maybe be uh, something you could bring in later later in a game to, to kind of make it more attritional and make it more physical. But I, I think that the skipper has a place here in this side. And I think over the last couple of games, he's more than proved that. And I, I think since the second half against Sheffield United, where I thought he was excellent, I thought he was good against Palace. I'm going to be honest. You know, I know there was a lot of backlash. Um, and yes, he loses his runner for the first goal. But ultimately, you know, we haven't ever had Tom Kearney in this side for his defensive contributions, have we? Like, that, that's a mad thing to say. He's our creative hub. He's our creative force. He's a captain here. And I think that, over the last couple of games, he, he's really shown his worth. And, and ultimately, the man of the match performance on Monday night was a kind of culmination of a couple of games of building up to that, I thought, where he's really started to prove himself. And, and ultimately, you know, if you have a player of his quality who is able to create things for Fulham, that's how we're going to do. Ultimately, you win games by, by scoring goals and, and having shots, right? And, and what we haven't seen in a long time is Fulham having a lot of shots on target. Now, we had this on Monday night. And what we did was we weren't afraid to, you know, to pull the trigger a little bit and it felt good. And it felt that, you know, it's, it's so easy to say, oh, shoot more. And, and it's not just a question of, you know, Andre Scherler from 35 yards. What I'm saying here is create opportunities and then take shots. And the more shots you take, uh, especially in positions of of sensibility, shall we say, in you know, in and around the box, the more likely you are to score. And I think Tom Kearney facilitates that and creates things for Fulham. And therefore, in in a league where we're going to need to create things in order to score, and we looked so devoid of creativity at points last year when Tom Kearney was playing deeper. Right when he is in that ten role, I think we look to create things. And and ultimately, on Monday night, I think showed how Fulham can play if we put that if we put our style on things and we put our mark on games. And, and I think TC is absolutely crucial to that. I think there's there's elements of Tom Kearney though, isn't there? And that's this is where the frustration comes in and where the debate comes in. And I'm sure lots of people would have seen my tweet that I slightly regret, um, you know, a couple of uh, weeks ago where I, I questioned his kind of captain material by the fact that he posted a video of his goal on Instagram and, and tweeted a, a caption of, uh, of his performance, his, his stats on, on who scored. And, and I felt like a, a true captain shouldn't be going on about an individual performance when ultimately his team lost the game because it, it matters. It matters diddly. His, his captaincy has, has often been questioned. Um, and, and I, but I guess that's a different debate to, to whether he can play football, but also I, I think that he's sometimes unfairly chastised because of the system he was told to play. And he, can sometimes be guilty of playing an entire 90 minutes, having a 100% passing accuracy, but that's because he spent the entire game passing it sideways to his fullbacks and not going forward with the ball. I think when you look at Monday's game, there's no doubt that Tom Kearney is an excellent player, but there have also been so many games that we've sat in the stands, Jack, on a, on a cold Saturday morning and, and watched Tom Kearney pass it sideways for 90 minutes and not play to his full potential. I guess that's what frustrates so many people because when you look at him on 
on Monday, you ask, why haven't you been a top level Premier League player for your whole career? Why have you only got two international caps for Scotland? Because your quality is unbelievable. That's a very different question. His his caps for Scotland thing. But I know, but still, he could have been a serious international player with the ability he has, but it's not always happened for him. So whilst I think it's great that everyone's, you know, pro TC at the moment, and I am as well, I loved Monday. I think you can't forget what we've seen in the past and also a few of his captaincy moments where he's stormed down the tunnel and all of those moments. Look, I, I, I don't mind there being a bit of passion. Look, I, I've, I think there are questions to be raised about TC when he plays in the eight. And, but I also think that those questions can be leveled at Scott Parker. Scott Parker doesn't like playing, he, you know, with a, you know, killing a double pivot. He likes playing with, you know, one of these things where he, he wants a defensive shield. And look, you can look at that as a positive, but I don't really, because that's the reason that Scott Parker ended his career. Let's think about it like this, right? Why did Scott Parker end up not playing very much in that Fulham side that got to the playoff semi-final against Reading? Because TC, K-Mac and Stefan Johansson played as a 6-8-10. And there was no place for Scott Parker in that because he wasn't any of the roles, right? And and I do think that that does stifle potentially his management style with with a midfield three sometimes. And Monday night shows what you can achieve if you play a 6-8 and eight and a 10 and and ultimately yeah. that's that's how it's worked but i think i don't think that it's all some, somehow tom kearney's fault for him being played deeper in a role yes he comes deep to get the ball when we when we're struggling a little bit and i think that that's that's potentially a little bit dangerous because i think it, it puts him into the positions where he doesn't really want to be but I, I can't blame him for being played out of position that isn't that isn't on me do you know what i mean it's not on him it's one of those things where you, you look at him and you look at what he can do in that 10 role and what he can do on, on monday night and you think yeah this is where you should be playing, and but it's only you know it's only on Scott and 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 in the team behind the scenes, the tactical side of things, to make sure that TC is in the position of maximum opportunity, and, and we know I think where that is. Well, well, Peter, I'd be interested to you know kind of get your final thoughts on this. Um, you wrote an article that that went out earlier on the Athletic app. You can read it. Use our code theathletic.com forward slash. Fulham pod. If you want to read The Athletic for one pound a month for the first six months, I highly recommend um, that you use that deal. You'll be able to read Peter's full piece around, around Tom Kearney. So so what is the piece about? And um, I guess where does that fit in with uh, Jack and I's um, debate that we just had? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it does. It, it looks at him as a 10. And I think it was more, it's definitely a case of seeing how effective he can be when he has that freedom, when he plays higher up the field. And, you know, he, he, from his numbers alone, he has more in goal, goal involvements. I think when you, you look back over the, the last few years, I think last year he hasn't played as frequently in that position the same year before. And so you don't get the same attacking output. I think what's interesting you know, listening to you guys talking about the way he plays, he's very good in, at linking up, but he does, you know, there are games where he doesn't have that that impact. And I think when he plays centrally, when he plays as more of a number eight, he doesn't impact games as much. I mean, he's very good at retaining possession and he's he's very, very good at it. Let's not, let's not underplay it. He's, he's fantastic at it. Um, but in that sense, he doesn't really impact the game at either end so much. So I think if you want the best out of Tom Kearney, you have to play him in a more advanced role. And I think when when we talk about a number 10, it's a position that, especially more recently, it's sort of a chastised position a bit. It's, you know, it's that luxury player sort of thing. And I'd definitely push back against that. I don't think a 10 has to be a luxury player. And I definitely wouldn't say that Kearney's a luxury player. Like he presses well, he he harries defenders. He's not the best at tracking runs, as we've said before. He's he's perhaps doesn't have that same defensive nous, but that doesn't detract from the, the work rate and effort he puts in in midfield. Um 
so for me, he, he to get the best out of him, you play him further forward. Um, and you know, I, I, th- I think the way Fulham have been set up, I think that that's you know, I think he's a player you want to have in your team. And I think the way that Fulham play, especially the possession-based style, to have someone who's that good at manipulating the ball, and he does have that creative side to him, you can't really not include him, especially at Championship level. Um, now that they've got more options in the Premier League, it becomes almost a different picture. But then again, you look at the midfield options and maybe aside from Loftus-Cheek, I wouldn't say that there's someone clearly with creativity in that area like Tom Kearney. So I feel like he's, he, of course, he's, he's the captain. He has, I think he's, you know, he's always going to be one of the first names on the team sheet. Um, but I think to get the best out of him, you need to sort of release him a little bit. And then the question is, can you do that in the Premier League as much? And that'll be interesting to see how Parker sort of adapts it. Clearly, he's, you know, Parker recognises what he's good at. He spoke afterwards about wanting Tom to take more risks and the team in general to take more risks going forward because they need to do that. It's a different level than, and a different way of playing now that they're in the Premier League and they need to take chances. They need to be shooting from distance. They, well, not from distance, but taking those opportunities to shoot, making chances, t- taking that little bit of risk because if you don't, you won't create the chances that are so hard to come by in, in, in the Premier League. So, you know, and I... I never get. I don't want to get drawn into the, the captaincy thing. I, I, I don't. I don't think you can glean very much from social media really um, about anyone. You don't know what they're really like in the dressing room. You don't know that side of it. So, I think you know the fact that Scott Parker as a manager is someone who's so good at leading, you know, teams, very good at man managing anyway. Like I said, for me, Tom Kenny, I think is best as a ten. He's best in that when he's got more of a free role. Um, and I think Fulham now. When, which they haven't had, I would say. I mean, you could. I mean, Kevin Mack and, and Steph Johansson certainly could could offer that. But they've got some real quality players in there now who can really offer Tom that that, that greater license to to really influence games, especially against sides like West Brom. Um, finally, Peter, uh, we're going to do a West Ham preview with Dan Lawless from West Ham Fan TV in a moment that uh, Dom recorded uh, earlier in the week. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on the game this Saturday. Uh, it's going to be a, a difficult one for Fulham. West Ham have been quite impressive. Um, it, it had this this start to the season. They kind of started in nightmare fashion, but you know picked up some really amazing amazing wins against likes of Wolves, Leicester, and then, you know, who can forget that game against Spurs where they came from 3-0 down in the final eight minutes of the match. But Fulham have got to be looking at this, maybe not as a winnable game, but certainly as a, as a drawable game, um, given the confidence that we should have from Monday. Yeah, it's a game that Fulham need to, need to, should be looking to take something from. I think when you look at the fixtures coming up, um, after West Ham, you know, Everton, Leicester, City, Liverpool. I mean, it, things are going to get a little bit sticky. And I think t- if they can build on the positives from, from West Brom and take something from the London Stadium, that's a massive, massive boost. Um, now, this isn't the West Ham of last year. This is, you know, West Ham have started very, very well this season. Some really eye-catching results. Um, looks like Mikel Antonio is still out, which is a big boost for Fulham. But even even without uh, Antonio, you know, David Moyes has got West Ham playing some much much better football. I mean, their recent results, you know, they've played some big teams and they've come away with some good results. You know, you look at beating Leicester away, which is, seems like a fantastic result. Now they've got a point off City, pushed Liverpool, point off Tottenham. Um, so they've they're coming into this game having played some tough teams and come out of it looking pretty good. Um, so, I mean, if Fulham can get a draw, if can get a point, then, then that's fantastic. Um, it's not the end of the world if they don't get a point, but I think with the fixtures, it just turns the heat on, I think, for Fulham going in towards Christmas. 
Yeah, I yeah. think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, West Ham have been playing well. This is the first game they're coming into in ages as favourites. And and I think that will be interesting to see how they cope with that, especially with Antonio out and, and, and Alaire coming in up front. And, you know, we might see some some old friends in... Well, friends is probably a, a bad word to use here, in, in Cyber Rama and Jared Bowen, both of whom have uh, have had a success with against Fulham last season. So it's one of those things where... You look at this side and you think, okay, if someone's going to beat West Ham, it's going to be with Antonio out because he's such a crucial player for them. And I think the last time we were up scored in both fixtures against us, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and and ultimately, if, if if we are going to, I was speaking to West Ham fans yesterday, and, and they're upset, obviously, about the fact that Antonio was out, and and they were able to play a little bit more liberally against Liverpool. The pressure is going to be on them for this game against Fulham, and, and that might just work in our favour. Fingers crossed. Well, um, after the break, Dom is chatting to Dan Lawless from West Ham Fan TV. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. And right now we're going to cross over to Dom, who spoke to Dan from West Ham Fan TV. Uh, and he started off by asking him for a summary of how their season's gone so far. You know, take, taking a Newcastle game out of the, out of the way, uh, obviously that was the first game and was was not a good performance. And that, that now that looks to be a bit of a blip because I think... From the Arsenal game to the Liverpool game, I think we have been we've had consistently good performances. And even say the Arsenal game, we deserve to, if not win it, get a point at least. Because I thought, you know, if you look at the stats, we were the better team in that. And then, you know, we go up against Leicester, um, beat them 3-0, beat Wolves 4-0, have a dramatic comeback against Tottenham, scoring three goals there, get a point um against Man City, and then you know, come so close to getting something at Anfield. And, you know, that penalty for me, it's still a sore point because I I don't think it was a penalty. But still, really, really good performances against, you know, these teams that are all, you know, in and around Europe. So, yeah, I'm really happy with the start to the season. Because obviously last season was a very painful one for most West Ham fans. They're definitely looking at that bottom three and potentially being in the championship in in such a big stadium uh, for this season. What... What what is the aim for West Ham this season? I mean, do you see the club having a name this season, or is it again the club are just looking at survival and then anything above that is a bonus? Yeah, I think that's look probably Moyes' objective from the board. I think that's the expectation. It's now you know we came so close last time last season. What we really need is a bit of stability, and what we really need now is to improve and not come so close to to going down. And avoiding that relegation battle, you know, we're, we're not looking at Europe this season or all of that and Europa Leagues and, and and these things. You know, if we can get if we can get a top half finish, that's great. But for me, I just want us to see us get away from that relegation battle, um, and I think that's probably what the board's expectation are of Moyes. So I think as long as he, if we have a fairly stable season, we don't look like we're going on a terrible run. It looks shaky. I think he'll, he'll keep his job and maybe get a new contract as well. So if we go back and look at obviously your start to the season so far, obviously there was that Newcastle game. Do you think that was just a wake-up call and it was sort of treated like a pre-season friendly as opposed to the first Premier League game of the season? Because obviously then you went into the Arsenal game and you were very unlucky in that game, as you said. And then you had two back-to-back wins with two clean sheets as well against big, good teams in Wolves and Leicester. And then, you know, you've played, you've, you've got a point against Manchester City and you've got a point against Tottenham. You were very unlucky against Liverpool. Do you think that opening game really was a massive wake-up call to the side? 
Yeah, I think it was a mixture of that and, you know, it obviously being the first game of the season, sometimes sometimes it just happens, sometimes you're not you're not fully prepared. And also it was us changing our formation, I think, from that Newcastle game and playing this this back five, I think has helped us massively because now we're getting a lot out of Aaron Creswell, you know, as he's part of that, that now he's playing at centre-back as part of that back three. And Arthur Masuaku actually getting to play as a wing-back, he's been a revelation there. Um, and obviously Antonio has been amazing. So I think we've been able to get the best out of the players that we've got playing this formation. You know, Fredericks, um, Ryan Fredericks, um, was really good as a wing back before he got injured. You know, he was playing really well there. It seemed to be much, much more suited to that role as well in this formation. Obviously, he got injured and now Sofa's come in. Um, so, yeah, it just seems like uh, our players uh, just fit this system that we're playing much, much better. And I think it's good that Moyes has tinkered with it. It's going to be interesting to see how we play against what we play against you guys. But, yeah, I'm liking, I'm liking it so far. So, I, I think it, it was just that massively put it down to that change of formation. Do you think that's what maybe is the difference between this the West Ham team this season and the West Ham team last season is that maybe last season the system and, and the players you were playing were sort of square pegs in round holes and you finally found a way to fit in all your best players and to play in a, in a manner that will get you results? Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's definitely um, part of it. That's, I think that's definitely a big part of it because when you look at it, you know, take, take so far out of the equation... Um, so before before that, obviously, and if you got Ryan Fredericks in there, like that's none of them are new signings. Even Suchek came in January, so it's not like okay, the difference has been this new signing. It's literally the same personnel, but now a different formation um, and a, and a different philosophy. And I think that has really worked. Like we're creating so many more chances now, you know, and we're scoring. Goals, we, you know, the only game we didn't score in was the Newcastle game. Every game we've scored goals, you know, and we've got a positive goal difference. Coming out of that run of games, you know, playing against the Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester, Tottenham, Man City, Liverpool with a positive, like, plus three goal difference, that just shows, you know, it's fr from an attacking point. People look at it maybe, okay, back five is a bit more defensive, but it's obviously we're getting a lot more out of the team from attack an attacking standpoint. Even without Antonio, obviously, we got to be scored against... Liverpool so yeah that's a, a big big positive and a big improvement yeah because I remember a lot of people saying after you came out of that Newcastle game and yeah it was a very very poor performance and you know they they looked at this run of games up until the Fulham game and it was like West Ham could be on the same amount of points as Fulham by that point if they're going to play like they did against Newcastle but you you guys have turned it around so if we're if we're looking to the Fulham game on the weekend, it's not like saying oh it's a must win, but is it? Is, it must be a game that you guys are going into fairly confident, even though obviously we did get our first win of the season, but it was against a very poor West Brom side. This is a this is a game that re realistically should be if you know West Ham home game against a a team who's going to be fighting a relegation battle in Fulham in ourselves. That it should this really should be your bread and butter for getting a win, really. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I'm I'm actually really nervous going into this game because. I've seen it so many times. It's, you know, we turn up against the teams much higher up at, at the table. We've done it. We've put great performances and everyone thinks West Ham's going to do something. And then the teams in and around us, the teams where we might be looking to maybe it's expected or, or hoping to really do well against and pick up points is where we fall short. And, you know, I, I think this is, really going to be a almost a season defining game just in terms of showing where we are at and where we've progressed to see if 
you know, we can turn up to this game and actually show Fulham some respect and not think that, okay, just because we've turned up against these other good teams and putting great forms against these top teams, you know, it's going to be, Fulham's going to be a rollover, you know, and I hope that they saw that result against West Brom and as poor as West Brom have been, you know, it's Fulham have shown that they're not dead yet. They can score goals. So I just hope that was a little bit of an eye opening and say, right, we need to be on our game. And this issue, like to me, we have to win it. We have to win to show, um, you know, we're not we're not just about turning up against the big games because that is key. We struggled that with that quite a lot last season, is beating the teams in and around us. So, yeah, this is this for me. This game is huge. It's really really huge. And even even a point, if we get a point, it's still it's still not going to show enough progress. Now, I just I, I really want to win. Um, just to see that progress. Say, okay, cool. We can we can turn up against the Liverpools and the Man Cities, but we can still come against Liverpool, uh, Fulham and do a good job. And it's going to be interesting because we're not going to be. We've been ex- we've been playing teams where we've been expected to give up a bit more possession. Now in the Fulham game, you know it's not going to be a situation where we can look to counter, and it's we're going to have to play a completely different way. And to see, that's going to be a big test for Moyes to see if he can do that. If he can look at Fulham and go, okay, right, this is how I need to set up to really get the most out of it. Maybe we're expected to maybe be a a little bit more on the front foot in this game, especially at home. So, yeah, this is big. This game is big and I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm really excited just to see what we do, how we set up. I can't. I can't imagine how we're going to... Obviously, Antonio is still out, which is a big loss, but it's, yeah, huge game for me, nervous and excited. Well, see, if we look at... Well, from Fuller's victory against West Brom, Mitrovic actually, instead of scoring, got both the assists for the goals. One was a cross to the back stick, had a cross for Bobby Reid, and the other one was a layoff for Oleina to get his first goal for the club. Obviously, Mitrovic is a player that will worry most defences and most most teams' fans in the league. Is that is that the area where you're worried that Fulham caused the most trouble with those deep crosses to Mitrovic at a back post ahead, not either either towards goal or for the second balls for our, our attacking midfielders? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Mitrovic, he's a player that a lot of our fans wanted us to sign um, before you guys got him. Because I think, he, you didn't you have him on loan first? Yeah, so he, I think he, he was at and, went Newcastle to and, and then went on loan to us. He was supposed to go to Anderlecht and then somehow we stole him off and had him for the last six months of the season, got us promoted and then we signed him in the following summer in 18-19. Yeah, I remember when you kept him when you went down. I thought that was a huge, you know, a huge statement and a you know a really big signing. So I think yeah, he's definitely someone I think that will be worried about. And like you said, you know, them crosses and you know into the back post and him heading it in that that has been an area of weakness for us quite a few times when we've conceded goals. It's that awareness a lot of the time and sometimes getting caught ball watching. Um, so you know, if he's movement. I think is is good enough on the day. I think he can definitely cause our defenders some problems and give us something to worry about for sure. Like, um, yeah, them, them them sort of balls in. So I'm just hoping, you know, with um, if we do still keep that those that three those three defenders at the back, and then you've got someone like Declan Rice, who you know is a defensive midfielder, but he's a he's naturally a defender can drop in at the same time and. Yeah, um, and and so far as well, he's been quite good defensively, and hopefully those players can be on it. And Moyes is going to be showing them right. Look, and they should be watching the West Brom game. 
I think they should always, the defenders especially, should be watching it and going, right, what can we learn? And same as Moyes. So, yeah, I, I think you've got a lot of threat in that respect. Yeah, definitely. So if you're looking at West Ham going forward, which players do you think can, will be able to, will be causing Fulham the most trouble after what you've seen in the last you know month or so with your good run of form? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a massive conundrum for us as to who's actually going to play. Because, again, like, if we've got to change things up, like for now has been brilliant for us. Really hard worker. Um, Jared Bowen as well. Some good attacking players. But, you know, it's a question of do we bring in a Lanzini or a Ben Rama, players that are a bit trickier and maybe can can, can create a bit more. Um, the big thing, of Sebastian Allaire started against Liverpool, this is the thing where we've got Antonio out, you know, Alaire's our only actual true striker. But our problem has been having him so isolated and not having players around him for him to to play off and um, to help Craig Titans get the ball to his feet, you know. And, and I think if we do that, I think we, we, we can tend to be quite toothless. But if we can find a way to get players a bit closer to Alaire, whether we play Jared Bowen with him, or we play a Ben Rama with him, I think he can really cause problems. I think this is a game where he could get quite a bit of confidence. You know, before in the Cup, he in the uh, Carabao Cup, he was scoring for fun and, and the same in pre-season. So he's got that threat. It's just about getting the ball to to his feet. And I think Pablo Fornells, if he does play, who is more work rate than creative, but he's on really good form when it comes to goals and assists. So he's a player definitely that can be what you can watch out for and, um, Masuaku as well, after Masuaku at left wing back, I think he's that sort of player that can run the channels, he can take players on and put in some really good balls into the box and I think he could be key for for Allaire and maybe him in the air um, I'm not sure what you guys are like defending um, in the air, but yeah, so I think that's definitely our danger points, but again, it's even West Ham fans can't really predict what team it is you're going to face on Saturday because it is again, it's such a different type of side than we have faced in this past five odd games if you were to predict how um, David Moyes is going to approach this game with his lineup, what would you say or if, if you were choosing what would you go with hmm yeah it's it's a tough one because it's like no players right none of the regular players deserve to be dropped like and so if we was to go from a back five to a four either Creswell uh, either Creswell, Masawaku or Fornals would have to come out. Um, for the purposes of this game, I think where we do want to assert ourselves and we're not going to be looking to play as deep, we could switch to a back four um, and play Creswell at the play Creswell back, put him back at left back and have Masawaku actually as a left winger and then maybe bring out um, a player like maybe give Fornals a rest. Um, and then maybe if we've got Nen Masuaki playing closer to Alaire, um, he can help create some more chances for him. And then you've got Bowen who can operate as a striker and play him a lot closer to um, so Alaire. And actually, if we can get Ben Rama in, I think this would be a really good game for him to get his confidence up. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing us play in like a, a 4-2-3 type of formation or something like that. That's an option. If we did play the five, I wouldn't mind seeing us play the five, but rather than set us up to play so deep, maybe play the wing backs a little bit further forward, 
give Rice and Suchek. Suchek's a box-to-box um, midfielder, so he's great at getting forward. So give them license to go forward and then get our wingers um, a little bit tighter into Alain. Uh, so we've got options there. I just I don't think it'll be work if we just play exactly the same way we played against Liverpool and Man City and all of that. We need to just focus on getting further forward. And lastly, if I've got to push you for a score prediction for the game, what are you going to go with? I think this is a game we can definitely get goals in. We have been scoring for fun. I can see us getting caught out uh, an odd time. I'm going to say... 3-1 West Ham if I'm feeling confident, which could come back to bite me massively because we can West Ham it up and end up losing the other way around. But if I'm going to be confident, I'll say 3-1 West Ham. Thank you very much to Dom and Dan for that little West Ham preview. Um, that was a bit of an edited version of their chat. There is a full length version uh, on our YouTube channel. So search for Fulhamish on YouTube and you can watch the full extended version of that if you wish. Uh, I've met Dan a couple of times. I've done a couple of talk sports shows with Dan and uh, he's a lovely chap. So uh, thank you for him uh, for, for giving up his time to, to chat to Fulhamish. So chaps, uh, interesting game on Saturday and we will uh, hope for three points and um i guess maybe be pretty satisfied still if it's only one absolutely well any anything will do at the london stadium and obviously bad memories of going there the last time where where we didn't quite um fulfill our potential so we say but you know the let's hope this defense can keep another clean sheet and and then from there it's anybody's game at least um we can't have another handball goal like the last time jack that was uh, pretty infuriating and then they put it on the big screen for us all to get even extra angry didn't we when we when we saw chicorito do that aye, aye. <laughs> uh, bad times um peter thank you very much for for being on the pod again today and giving us your your insight into all things fulham no problem at all and we will be back on Sunday night. I'm hosting the pod, looking back at that West Ham game. And then, of course, it's a two-week international break. But, Peter, we'll speak to you next week. We've got some uh, special plans lined up to, to chat about Fulham during the international break. So uh, look forward to uh, revealing some of those and maybe getting into a deeper dive on, on some areas of Fulham that we won't normally get time to, to cover during the season. Yeah, looking forward to it. Nice one. Well, have a good weekend and we will speak to you on Sunday. Come on, you whites. You whites.